Rehoboam was a, a very selfish man. He had grown up in prominence. He'd grown up with a golden spoon. And uh, he is presented with an option to relax the taxes as well as the burdens that had been placed upon them by his father Solomon. And obviously, he then comes to a very poor state of diplomacy in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 18, if you want to follow along with me. We did read about an arrogant king in verses 1 through 17. Now verses 18 through 24, as we pick back up, a king who wouldn't listen. <coughs> Excuse me. In verse 18, then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was over the tribute, and all Israel stoned him with stones that he died. Therefore King Rehoboam made speed to get him up to his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day, and it came to pass, when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again, that they sent and called him unto the congregation, and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. And when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, and hundred and fourscore thousand chosen men, which were warriors, to fight against the house of Israel, to bring the kingdom against, again to Rehoboam the son of Solomon. The word of God came unto Shemaiah, the son of God, excuse me, Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak unto Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, unto all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Ye shall not go up, nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Return every man to his house, for this thing is from me. They hearkened, therefore, to the word of the Lord, and returned to depart, according to the word of the Lord. So while Rehoboam is still in Shechem, he attempted some belated diplomacy. He tries to send one of his trusted officers up there to the ten tribes to bring peace uh, after things did not go well with his uh, <clears throat> dictation of what would transpire uh, and, and his answer to them. Adoram was authorized to negotiate easier, potentially easier labor arrangements or even lower taxes, but if he was, he failed miserably at doing this. I mean, the people stoned him. They did not like him. They were angry at him. They were angry at Rehoboam. I mean, they responded in a, in a very ferocious, fierce way because Rehoboam did not listen to them. Rehoboam had followed wrong counsel, used the wrong approach, and chosen the wrong mediator. And he could have declared war. After all, by declaring war, he could assert his authority, demonstrate his military strength. Perhaps Jeroboam, uh, his rival, might be one of the casualties. But the Lord steps in and says, don't do it, Rehoboam. Solomon, <clears throat> did Solomon's father have, want to have Jeroboam killed in chapter 11, verse 40? Wasn't his father Solomon, you think about it, one of the wisest men ever, and these ten tribes rebel against Rehoboam. The beloved King David declared war on the Ammonites for only embarrassing his envoys. Remember this, that the Ammonites, <clears throat> after the king had died, his son assumes the role uh, he declares war, and David goes to war against them. I mean, they, they treated his men shamefully, and a war ensued. Thousands died. The Syrians are like, we're never helping you again as your mercenaries. We're out of here. We're not helping the Ammonites again. And they would go off into obscurity. So the ten tribes were dividing what the Lord put together, and they uh, deserved to be chastised for it. They had called an assembly and appointed Jeroboam as the king, as was said before, that under Solomon, that Jeroboam would be the king, and God promised him several things. So to defy the covenants of God and desert the Davidic covenant, uh, the Davidic line, is wickedness. But the question is, is war the will of God? 
I mean, Rehoboam assembled an army of 180,000 men, and he discovered that he had wasted his time. Because the Lord sends Shemaiah the prophet to him and says, Listen, Rehoboam, turn around and go home. Do not fight with your men. Don't fight with Israel. Because if you do, I will not be with you. So now, I mean, he's got shame upon shame. If he goes into battle, his men will die. If he retreats, he looks foolish. But either way, he's on the wrong side because he's begun to make steps. He's gone down a path that is in opposition to God. Now he does, wisely in in obeying God uh, and the rule of God, understanding that it is God who overrules everything. And uh, this would give, again, the Ahijah's prophecy uh, there to Jeroboam. Each man acted freely, so they had their counselors. And you think about this, uh, the Lord's will was done here. And uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God you have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Here is Peter there at Pentecost as he's talking to uh, the Jews. He says, listen, you, God already knew what you were going to do. But yet you still went forward with it and you crucified the Christ. Now the plan of God is one factor. Second factor is that it was wrong for Judah and Benjamin to fight against their brothers. Verse 24. You shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. He says, listen, stop your fighting. Seems strange, yet family and national conflict appears uh, repeatedly throughout history. I mean, we find all sorts of uh, family feuds in in history. Uh, We find national feuds. I mean, there are some countries today, by their very virtue of that nation, I I was talking to someone recently, well, some time ago, and they were Polish, and there was a big thing between the Poles and and the the Ukrainians, where uh, there was some great slaughter that the Ukrainians had perpetrated against the Polish. Abraham and Lot disagreed, and in their disagreement, they would go their own way. Jacob and Esau had a lifelong battle, and their descendants continued for centuries. I mean, we find in Genesis chapter 27, and Esau hated Jacob because he stole his father's blessing. Uh, Then you find, you know, and and this hatred, Jacob and and Laban, his father-in-law, there was a feud between them. We find in Psalm 137, Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it, even the foundation thereof. And you also would find uh, other violence from Jacob in, in Obadiah, verses 10 through 13. You find Jacob's brothers hated him. Aaron and Miriam criticized Moses. You find Saul was David's enemy. I mean, there is feud after feud after feud after feud. And there's a pride, there's an envy, there's other things that, that rise up. Frequently in the Old Testament history, we find a prophet confronting a king with, thus saith the Lord. You know, whenever a king, a priest, or another prophet steps out of line, a prophet would step forward and rebuke him. If the prophet's message is ignored, God's hand of judgment would fall. And that's the wonderful thing, that God always gives us, uh, he gives us warnings. I want you to look with me at 1 Kings chapter 13. We're going to look at several passages here on this. 1 Kings chapter 13, uh, just on some of these prophets. 1 Kings 13, 21, and then we'll go to 14 next. 
verse 20, it came to pass as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. And he cried unto the man of God that came from Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, for as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back, and hast eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread and drink no water, thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulcher of thy fathers. Here's the old prophet and the new prophet, the younger prophet. The old prophet has a dream. It's not of God, but he tells the young prophet it is. The young prophet goes to Jeroboam. He tells him and tells him, hey, Jeroboam, you're doing wrong. You're going to idolatry. And uh, this young prophet listens to the old prophet. He says, hey, you're an old pastor. You're an old minister. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to go to your house. I'll eat. I guess God's uh, dictation that he gave to me was not, uh, uh, you know, it changed. And so I'm going to go to your house and eat. And it happened to be that in verse 24, a lion would meet the guy by the way and slay him. And then in 1 Kings chapter 14, verses 6 uh, through 11, another passage of Scripture, and it was so, when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet as she came in at the door, that he said, Come in, thou wife of Jeroboam, why feignest thou thyself to be another? For I am sent to thee with heavy tidings. Go tell Jeroboam, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, for as much as I exalted thee from among the people and made thee prince over my people Israel, and rent the kingdom away from the house of David, and gave it thee. And yet thou hast not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments, and who followed me with all his heart, to do that only which was right in mine eyes. But hast done evil above all that were before thee, for thou hast gone and made the other gods, and molten images, to provoke me to anger, and hast cast, behind, cast me behind thy back. Therefore, behold, I will bring evil upon the house of Jeroboam. And will cut off from Jeroboam him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel, and will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as a man that taketh away dung till it be all gone. Him that dieth of Jeroboam in the city shall the dogs eat, and him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat, for the Lord has spoken it. Going on, I mean, so here's another, again, an example. Jeroboam, you, I mean, he tells the wife of Jeroboam, your husband's going to die. He's disobeyed, he's gone into idolatry, and we remember when the prophet went to Jeroboam before Ahijah, he says, listen, you can, have, you can reign in perpetuity, in continuity, in continuity, if you obey the Lord. Jeroboam, because of envy, he didn't want people going back to Jerusalem, he didn't want the reuniting, he didn't want to lose the power, he sets up false worship there uh, in Israel in the northern tribes and therein falls the justice judgment of God but before the judgment of God came God says listen you need to turn from your ways that young prophet that went to him told him you're doing wrong Jeroboam persists in his evil going on to chapter 16 verses 1 through 4 then the word of the Lord came to Jehu the son of Hanani uh, against Baasha, saying, For as much as I exalted thee out of the dust, and made thee prince over my people Israel, and thou hast walked in the way of Jeroboam, and hast made my people Israel to sin, to provoke me to anger with their sins, behold, I will take away the posterity of Baasha and the posterity of his house, and will make thy house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Him that dieth of Baasha in the city shall the dogs eat, and him that dieth of his of his in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. There is again a warning, you've deviated from God's ways. And God does that. God will bring 
uh, upon us individuals that will give us warnings from God. Listen, if you don't turn from your ways, uh, greater hurt and pain is going to come upon you. Uh, and we find that in 1 Kings chapter 20, 2 Kings chapter 1, 2 Kings chapter 22, Israel was to be a people of God's word, and God's word was to be held higher than even the word of the king. Now, to Rehoboam's credit here in the passage of scripture we looked at, uh, in verse 24, he calls off the war, thankfully. <clears throat> there were many border skirmishes that would uh, incur in the years to follow. Conflicts, irritations. I mean, 1 Kings fourteen twenty. if you want to look there, Uh, <clears throat> just a little bit of uh, continuing from uh, Jeroboam, and then we'll go to chapter 15, but 1420. And the days which Jeroboam reigned were two and twenty years, and he slept with his fathers, and Nadab his son reigned in his stead. Now going on to verse 6 of chapter 15. And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. Verse 16. And there was war between Asa and Baasha, king of Israel, all their days. Verse 32, and there was war between Asa and Baasha, king of Israel, all their days. And then you find 2 Chronicles 11.1. 1. So again, uh, there is a lack of war in this one particular instance, but, I mean, war would ensue. The, 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 two, the ten tribes and the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, uh, there was conflict continually between these nations, between these tribes. And uh, Rehoboam wasn't a military man like his father Solomon. He wasn't, I mean, he wasn't sure of winning. Jeroboam had had some military experience. Uh, he'd been given chariots by the Egyptian king. It wasn't God's plan for there to be two kingdoms, and that settled the matter. And so, thankfully, Rehoboam does in this one instance submit to God. You know, and... And you find that this account is a little bit more amplified in 2 Chronicles chapter 11, verses 5 through 22, and then picked up uh, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 14, 21 through 26. Let's read verses 25 and 26. Uh, actually, we'll look at 1 Kings 14, 21 through 26. And the Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem the city which the Lord did choose out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And his mother's name was Naamah and Ammonitus. And Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins, which they had committed above all that their father had, fathers had done. But they also built them high places and images and groves on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also Sodomites in the land, and they did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And it came to pass in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He even took away all. And he took away all the shields of gold which Solomon had made. I mean, even early, <laughs> Rehoboam's reign was really, I mean, Solomon was the pinnacle of Israel. David was the warrior. Solomon was the diplomat. Solomon was also very materialistic, and it affected his children. And then the very riches that God had given for the temple were now being taken away. Find something else that happens in 2 Chronicles chapter 11, verses 5-22. through 22, Rehoboam heard and obeyed God's message from Shemaiah. The Lord began to give him uh, some wisdom and bless his work in life. 
He stayed on that course, and he would have led Judah into godliness. Had he led Judah into godliness, there would have been, you know, greatness. But Rehoboam turns from God. I want to look at 2 Chronicles chapter 11. We'll look at verses 5 through 12. 2 Chronicles, these are kind of parallel accounts. 2 Chronicles chapter 11. Uh, Verses 5 through 12. And Rehoboam dwelt in Jerusalem and built cities for defense in Judah. He built even Bethlehem and Etam and Tekoa and Bethzur and Shoko and Adullam and Gath and Marisha and Ziph and Adoraim and Lachish and Azekah and Zorah and Aijalon and Hebron, which are in Judah, and in Benjamin fenced cities. And he fortified the strongholds and put captains in them and store of victual and of oil and wine. And in every city, several city, he put shields and spears and made them exceeding strong, having Judah and Benjamin on his side. So here is some of the blessings in the buildings that he, the projects that he's doing. I mean, God had given him wisdom for this. Uh, and Solomon had strengthened the borders. I mean, Solomon had a tremendous amount of horses, chariots, guards, all of those. And uh, the king knew that Jeroboam was a favorite in Egypt. I mean, the fact that he had Pharaoh uh, you know, in mind when he sets up his defenses. Jeroboam had fled to Egypt, if you remember. And... Uh, you know, he didn't put defense cities, though, on the northern tribes, the northern cities. He defends, he puts it up around the other part of Judah, but he doesn't put it on the northern part between uh, the cities, the ten cities, the ten tribes. He doesn't put a border there. After Shemaiah's warning, perhaps King Rehoboam, you know, hesitates uh, to provoke the northern tribes. He hasn't prepared for war there. And uh, maybe he was hoping that an open-door policy would eventually reunite the ten tribes with the two tribes, and then Israel would be whole again to ease the tension. Going on here, verses 13 through 17, 2 Chronicles 11, And the priests and the Levites that were in all Israel resorted to him out of all their coasts, for the Levites left their suburbs and their possession and came to Judah and Jerusalem. For Jeroboam and his sons had cast them off from executing the priest's office unto the Lord. And he ordained him priests for the high places and for the devils and for the calves which he had made. And after them, out of all the tribes of Israel, such as set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice unto the Lord God of their fathers. So they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam the son of Solomon strong three years. For three years they walked in the way of David and Solomon. So here's a good thing, right? Solomon's doing well, Jeroboam. He's setting up priests and all sorts of things to go into absolute wickedness. It says he is, you know, setting up high places even unto devils. Jeroboam sets up these wicked priests, preparing for absolute, uh, just spiritual adultery against God. Idolatry. And uh, Rehoboam, for three years, keeps Israel from idolatry, which is a good thing. And uh, the priests there in in Judah, the Levites, they were devoted to the Lord. They came to Judah. They enriched themselves greatly. They were strong. God's word went forth. Uh, It was in a good time. A third group stayed in Israel, but traveled to Jerusalem three times a year for annual feasts, as we find in verse 16. Uh, To some extent, we have, you know, kind of that same three groups maybe in churches today. Uh, The addition of these godly priests and Levites and their families to the population of Judah strengthened the kingdom and brought the blessing of God. 
Psalm 33, 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. And so we find this very thing that when it, there is blessings when a nation obeys God. God blesses his family. Look with me at verse 18 through 23. And Rehoboam took him Mahalath, the daughter of Jeremoth, the son of David, to wife, and Abihel, the daughter of Eliab, the son of Jesse, which bare him children, Jeus and Shemariah and Zaham. And after her, he took Maacah, the daughter of Absalom, which bare him Abijah and Atai and Zizah and Shelamoth. And Rehoboam loved Maacah, the daughter of Absalom, above all his wives and his concubines. For he took 18 wives and threescore concubines and begat 20 and eight sons and threescore daughters. And Rehoboam made Abijah, the son of Maacah, the, the chief, to be ruler among his brethren, for he thought to make him king. And he dealt wisely and dispersed, all of his, dispersed of all his children throughout all the countries of Judah and Benjamin into every fenced city, and he gave them victual in abundance, and he desired many wives. So again, the passions and desires of Solomon are now uh, coming to Rehoboam, and it's a bad thing. And there is blessings. I mean, Rehoboam disobeyed the word of the God, word of the Lord, and took many wives. Deuteronomy 17, 17, as we've already looked with respect to Solomon. Only two of his wives were named in record, Mahaloth, a granddaughter of David, uh, through both her father and mother, and Maacah, the daughter of Absalom. Uh, since David, son Absalom, had only one daughter, uh, Tamar, Maacah could have been uh, his granddaughter. Uh, her father's name is given as Abish, Abishalom, in 1 Kings 15, 2. In 2 Chronicles 13, 2, Maacah is the daughter of Uriel of Gibeah. And uh, it was Ur, uh, Uriel, Uriel uh, was indeed the husband of Tamar, and she would end up marrying. The only daughter of Absalom, then Maacah, was the granddaughter of Absalom, the great-granddaughter of King David. At least two of Rehoboam's 18 wives uh, were from solid uh, Davidic stock. So they're from David's line. Uh, and it was important that those families at that time had large families, so that there would be an heir to the throne and replacement uh, should something happen to the next crown prince. I mean, much like kind of have in England today, there's uh, the, the, the two sons, and, and that's, a, I guess, a good thing. Uh, but uh, anyways, you have those things going on. So King Rehoboam is blessed with many children. Now, he did take many wives, and it said he desired many wives. So uh, you had David going back, and I just want us to think about this. He wouldn't listen. David took with him many wives. Solomon took a whole lot of wives, 700, 300 concubines. You find Rehoboam less, but he still has a lot of wives and a lot of children. It is affecting the next generation by their passions. Their passions are not uh, put in line with God's word. Now, the king did a wise thing, and then he appointed his grown sons to royal offices, distributed them throughout Judah and Benjamin. Now he's got people throughout the land who are there, his over, who are watching out for him. And so he's got kind of eyes on, the, you know, eyes on the ground there, if you would. I mean, he's kind of spies there in the area, and he feeds them well, and he gives them abundance. And, and uh, they're there all throughout the land, and, and they're helping him out. Rehoboam had grown up in a lap of luxury. Smart enough, though, he puts his sons to work. The second benefit was that Rehoboam assessed the character and the skills of his sons uh, to succeed him. God called David to king, to be king, and later Solomon to be his successor. It wasn't the oldest son that was allowed to be the, the king, uh, much like David was the youngest son of his father Jesse's family. 
Uh, and you would have thought that one of Saul's sons would have followed, but God chose David, the youngest son of Jesse. Uh, there's no evidence that God named Solomon's successor, so Solomon must have appointed Rehoboam to the throne. And after watching his son, Rehoboam selects Abijah, the son of uh, Meekah, to be his heir, even though Jeush, his son by Mahaloth, was the firstborn. These are nice, easy names to say. I say that with <laughs> a little sarcasm there. All right. Rehoboam made Abijah ruler among his brethren, verse 22, and Rehoboam made Abijah the son of Meekah the chief. So, Abijah didn't live up to his name. Abijah's name means uh, Jehovah is father. He didn't live up to that. The many wives that Rehoboam uh, secured for his sons uh, may have been treaty wives, wherein it helped them to guarantee peace. I mean, you marry among the locals, and it helps you to make peace among those that are there. I mean, you've got your heart, and then you've got the kids and the grandkids and all those sorts of relations that are there. And so uh, he does that, and it kind of helps secure back to the throne. This was the plan that his father Solomon followed. But we find something interesting that happens going back to uh, 1 Kings chapter 14, verses 21 to 31. He was an apostate king. Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 40 and 1 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city uh, which the Lord... Uh, did choose out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And his mother's name was Naamah and Ammonitis. Uh, we read this. Uh, so let's uh, <clears throat> go, we read, let's read verse 25. And it came to pass in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord. And the treasures of the king's house even took away all. And he took away all the shields of gold which Solomon had made, and King Rehoboam made... Uh, in their stead brazen shields, and committed them unto the hands of the chief of the guard, which kept the door of the king's house. And it was so, when the king went into the house of the Lord, that the guard buried them, and brought them back into the guard chamber. Now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam, and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days, and Rehoboam slept with his fathers, and was buried with his father in the city of David, and his mother's name was Nama and Ammonitus, and Abijam his son reigned in his stead. So we have here, again, he's apostate. He had forsaken, he had abandoned God, and you find this phrase frequently uh, in the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. First uh, Kings 18, 19, Second uh, Kings 17, 21, 22, Second Chronicles 12, 13, 15, 21, and so on and so forth. And it goes on, David had warned Solomon about the sin. You deviate from God, judgment is coming. I mean, even in Solomon's dedication prayer uh, at the temple, he says, if we uh, deviate. So there's still a recognition and a possibility. Obviously, he's seeing some things to say, hey, if we're deviating from you, I mean, he knows Israel's history coming out of Egypt. He knows their wilderness wandering. He knows their early years in the promised land and how they deviated from the Lord. I mean, it was uh, a time of uh, just great turning away. Solomon, in his later years, would worship uh, the Lord and, uh, you know, worship both the Lord and the idols. And it was an awful time. But God's holy jealousy in verses 21 through 24 about Judah doing evil in the sight of the Lord. I mean, he's a jealous God. And they provoked him to jealousy with their sins. We find that when we 
uh, are living in opposition to God, we provoke God to jealousy because something else has our attention other than Him. Israel was married to the Lord in Mount Sinai. They make that covenant with God. They enter into that covenant, but they would go to worship idols, and they made a horrible breach upon this covenant. And they commit adultery spiritually with the Lord. Rehoboam knew what the Lord had said at Mount Sinai. I mean, the very fact is Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. You find the same thing in the Song of Moses uh, that you would find in Deuteronomy 32, 21. You want to look at this. Deuteronomy 32, 21. God is jealous for his children. Deuteronomy 32, 21, there is a great desire and heart of God uh, for, the, uh, for his children to have his heart. And Israel so frequently goes away uh, unto God and to that which can only be seen. Verse 21, they have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities. That vanities here is just emptiness. I mean, just empty things. And I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. Find in Psalm 78, 58, for they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. Jeremiah 44, 3. Because of their wickedness, which they have committed to provoke me to anger, in that they went to burn incense and to serve other gods whom they knew not, neither they, ye, nor your fathers. So, Paul uses, again, the same idea of of marriage, you know, a church avoiding pagan idolatry, pagan practices. He calls them adulterers and adulteresses in James. He says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Uh, And speaking about uh, the Lord's table. So the, the king allows and encourages the building of idolatrous shrines in the land. Jeroboam did, and three years later, Rehoboam would as well. He permitted prostitutes, sodomites, to serve the people at these shrines. We find that any time there is a moral uh, decay away from God, you find in the scripture sodomy, homosexuality. When people begin to deviate and turn their backs on God, you'll find an increase in sodomy in the land. And he allows these people to serve at the shrines, a detestable practice expressly forbidden by the law of Moses. We were just praying last night, and an individual was saying within uh, particular uh, churches that the uh, sodomites came in and began to serve much within the church and would eventually take over, and uh, much like you would find there in the United Churches today. Idolatry and immorality go together. When we get our eyes off the Lord, there's a great deviation into immorality. And the pagan sins committed, you know, condemned by the law. Romans chapter 1, 21 through 27, I want you to turn with me here. You'll see the same uh, continuation of this idea. Now, uh, it is our responsibility as believers to bring people to the place of coming to know Christ, right? I mean... We're not shunning away those that may be in that lifestyle, 
but at the same time not embracing it as something that is acceptable before the Lord. Nothing that is immoral uh, ought to be uh, accepted by the brethren. Verse 21 of Romans 1, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. Notice with me, we find kind of a continuation of the idea, kind of a parallel account, but became vain in their imaginations. We talked about vanities before. And their foolish heart was dark, and professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 27, 26. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of the heir which was meet. So again, and you can also look uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, it talks about this. You're right, there shall not be found among you one anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord thy God shall drive them out from before thee. You see, those in Canaan land were driven out for their wickedness and their evil. The Jewish people were no longer a light to the Gentiles here under Rehoboam. I mean, the light has literally gone out in Israel from telling people about Christ. Rehoboam, he's not giving nothing to God. Jeroboam, definitely not. So, before we pass judgment on the people of Judah and Israel, uh, maybe we'd examine our own lives and churches. And surveys indicate that when it comes to sexual morality, the born-again people in the churches don't live much differently than the unsaved people outside the church. Uh, in quotes, says Wearsby. There's materialistic and humanistic idols of the unsaved world, and they make their way into the church. They're both tolerated and they're promoted. So the Lord punishes Rehoboam for his sins. Maybe it may not be long before God punishes his churches, and I believe some of that uh, may have very well happened during the pandemic. But nevertheless, we find God's loving discipline going back to 1 Kings chapter 14. And we'll read from 25. Uh, through, uh, okay, so going in 1 Kings 14, <clears throat> which we read 25 through 31, about Rehoboam taking away the treasures of the house. The Lord was patient, but God's loving discipline, he allows the brazen shields, he allows Things from Israel that once propped them up. I mean, you think about the temple. You think about all their wealth and everything. I mean, just the absolute opulence of the temple. Little by little, God's taking it away. You know, that's a kind of a God saying, listen, I'm coming for you. Judgment is coming and it will increase. And unless you turn around, God directs, Shishak, king of Egypt. You know what? God may very well in our lives bring enemies against us to get a hold of our attention. Because God directs Shishak to come against Jerusalem, whether 
whatever the thoughts come. You know, Satan can throw bad thoughts in our minds. And we have a choice to reject or accept. God also has a way to create fear or create positions in regards to enemies. To wake us up and say, listen, you're going the wrong way. When the Egyptians got as far as Jerusalem, the prophet Shemaiah once again appeared on the scene with a message from God. And thus saith the Lord, you have forsaken me, and therefore have I also left you in the hand of Shishak. That's 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 5. And when God's people experience discipline because of their sins, what our response is, is to make, to listen to the word of God. And begin to hear it, and obey it, and heed it. And as a result, there can be a return or reconciliation unto God, and there can be a staying or a stopping of God's judgment upon us. I want you to look with me at 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13. I was talking with an individual some time ago, and they were saying that there are too many people on this planet. And I said, there are not too many people, because God commanded us to go out and multiply. Additionally, there's this idea, well, there's all this famine and every stuff, other things. And I said, no, there's not too many people on this planet. There is too much rejection of God. Famine can very well be God's judgment. Additionally, I heard a preacher many years ago, he said, listen, India produces enough grain to feed their people many times over. But because of their belief in Hinduism and don't kill the animals, the rats and the other vermin eat their crops, large portion of their crops. And so their belief system affects their humanity, affects the humans, and they starve. Because of wrong beliefs, I would say wrong doctrine, right? Wrong beliefs that also you're living out. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13, If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, what is God saying? He says, listen, I can withhold rain. I can send insects and animals and pestilence and famine and drought and fires and all sorts of things upon you. What makes us think today that God is any different than when this stuff was written. He's not. So he says in verse 14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. If we, as Christians, and then are not doing what we ought to be doing, there are things that God does to judge us, to provoke us. I mean, he did the same thing with the church of Jerusalem. He brought persecution because they were comfortable in the large church. And they were not evangelizing as they should have. Persecution comes, and they spread. I mean, they're like cockroaches. They go all over. And churches are established, as God had commanded. Rehoboam and his officers humble themselves before the Lord... And he stops the Shishak from attacking Jerusalem. Now, Judah was now subject to Shishak, and they have to pay him tribute, and thus they begin to get rid of their, the shields and the wealth that they had there. 
God's people begin to understand that the freedom to sin brings them into painful and costly bondage to Egypt. And so it is today. Yes, you have the freedom to do as you desire, but there are consequences. To satisfy Shishak's demands, Rehoboam gave him gold from the temple and from the king's palace. 500 gold shields that Solomon made for the palace. Rehoboam was too poor to make duplicate shields. He didn't have all the wealth. He didn't have the connections. They were the king of Tyre and otherwise. So he replaced them with shields made of bronze. Royal ceremonies go on. He doesn't have all the gold to replace the golden shield, so he goes with a cheaper metal. It's kind of like you go, rather than going with a nice hardened steel, you go with a nice pot metal. How often the treasures of former generations are lessened or lost because of sin. And, and, and the fact is, Rehoboam, life goes on as normal. We'll have all of our ceremonies. We have the bronze shields. It's okay. We don't have gold ones, but that's okay. I mean, I guess we had to pay them off. Things happen. You know, in Revelation chapter 3, look with me here at the last passage this morning. Revelation chapter 3, uh, verse 17. We want to maintain the riches of the former generations. Revelation three seventeen. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore, and repent. This is the church of the Laodiceans. He says, you're rich and you're wealthy. And so was Rehoboam. He had lived in opulence. He lived in wealth and grandeur and, I mean, all the niceties of life. And he's, getting a, <laughs> he's getting a hard reality. You turn from God, I will bring judgment. And the same as in our lives, you turn from God, I will bring judgment. After the invasion in 925 B.C. by Shishak, Rehoboam reigns for 12 more years and dies in the year 913. Had he continued to be faithful to God, uh, the Lord would have done great things for him, potentially would have extended his reign. As it was, his sins and the sins of his people left him and the nation weaker. Left the nation poorer. As Charles Spurgeon said, God doesn't allow his people to sin successfully. Rehoboam goes the way of all flesh and died at the age of 58. We trust that the humbling that he and his leaders experienced for the rest of their lives, and that they walked with the Lord, you know, it lasts. Based upon what we see here, it lasted this judgment upon their lives. We cannot underestimate that if we disobey God and lose our first love for him, it's going to cost us. We have to realize a king who wouldn't listen, and he paid a dear price. And I trust today, as we think upon this very thing, that rather than going to idols, we would go to the living God and stay close and follow him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the challenge from your word. Father, help us to listen and to obey you. You're a marvelous Savior.